Welcome back to The John Morris Show, a podcast for freelancers, web developers, and online business owners navigating the chaotic world of technology and online business. If you're new to the show, be sure to visit johnmorrisshow.com to subscribe on iTunes, Android, and TuneIn, and find past episodes of the show. And last but not least, as a podcast listener, you can get free access to my entire curriculum of freelancing and web development courses with the exclusive two-month free trial of Skillshare that I can give you. All the details on how to get that are at johnmorrisonline.com slash Skillshare. Again, that's johnmorrisonline.com slash Skillshare. Now, let's get to the show. The John Morris Show. All right, welcome back. Been a while. As some of you know, I've been building my house for about the last year, so my output has not been near what it normally is, and unfortunately, this podcast has kind of been, took the brunt of of that, but I'm getting to the end, I only have a few things left, so I do do want to sort of get back into publishing for this podcast. So, today what I wanted to talk about is the future of web development, where I see things headed for the next five to 10 years, and then specifically how you can sort of position yourself uh, within that. And this came up for me actually because my older brother called me just the other day and was asking me about, he's a, right now he drives truck, um, is pretty happy actually, really enjoys the job. Uh, I know some people out there might think of it as this thing that everybody sort of hates, but he he really does enjoy it. Um, But (laughs) funnily enough, he has been reading up on some of the stuff about self-driving cars and the potential for that to move into the transportation industry. And he's pretty reasonable about it. He's like, I don't know that anything's going to happen in the next, you know, 10 or 20 years. He's like, I might be retired by then, whatever. But just in case something happens, he's like, I've been thinking more and more about getting into what you do, getting into web development and and that sort of thing. So he's kind of asking me about it. And it was kind of the typical questions that I get. You know, what are the things that I should learn? What languages should I get in, into? That sort of thing. And about probably halfway through, I kind of I, I kind of p- pulled him back from that. Uh, and it's sort of the thing that I want to do for you, especially if you're new to development. But even if you've been doing this a while and kind of had your head down and like this is the path that I'm going to take, I want you to just pop it up for a second. And take a look around with me and 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 sort of see where things are headed. So that way you can adjust and not get sort of swept away. Like technology, especially internet technology, can change very, very quickly. And what's working for you now, what's bringing you income now, what's, you know, giving you job security now can very quickly get sort of washed away. And there's a whole trail of of companies like Blockbuster and you know, Barnes and Nobles, I think Barnes and Nobles still around. What is it? Borders is what it is. Borders and all, there's all of these uh, different companies that kind of serve as proof for that. So I think it's important that you take some time every now and again to look at what's happening and and make sure that you're on the right path. So I want to tell you what I told him uh, here today and then you can kind of take that for what you will. So the big thing that I pointed out to him is that before you get into languages, and I've I've sort of talked about this about choosing your career path. Like if you're going to work for a startup, the languages that that you need to learn 
are going to be different than if you want to do freelance work or if you want to work in a corporate environment. You know, startups, it's a lot of Node and Go and some of these newer languages, um, whereas corporate, it's maybe more C++ or it's Java, that sort of thing. Freelancing, it's still very much, you know, PHP and really more than that, it's WordPress and, and that sort of thing. So what you need to learn changes depending on what sort of career path, what companies you want to work for. But there's another element to it, which is who you are, what you want to be. And so I think you really need to take some time and and, and have some self-awareness and, and be honest with yourself about what you are. I've had to do this and actually it was really difficult for me because when I first got into web development, like I kind of thought of myself as this hardcore programmer. And as I really got into it, I started to find out that was not really what I enjoyed. And I've worked with hardcore programmers and I've seen how much they enjoy the things that I don't and how much they hate the things that I do enjoy. And it sort of was a wake up call for me realizing like I'm not this thing I thought I was. And that was that was sort of difficult. But once I accepted it, it really changes my whole mentality, my whole approach to how I did things. It's made my work life a heck of a lot easier while at the same time making it more valuable, making it more profitable. So again, thinking about where things are headed, this future of web development. And I've, I've sort of talked about this in the past, maybe not as clearly as how I see it now, but I sort of break down when it comes to who you are or what you can be in this space, I sort of break it down into two, three categories. The first one I already mentioned, programmers, your hardcore sort of programmers. Then you have designers, and then you have what I call builders. So to make the distinction, programmers, the hardcore programmers these days more and more are becoming tool builders. So they're not building the actual website itself necessarily. They're building the tool. They're building the WordPress. They're building the WordPress theme or the WordPress plugin. Uh, they're building the Joomla or whatever it is. They're building the tools to enable people to then build their websites or their applications and so forth. More and more, the really hardcore programmers, that's what they're doing. And and you can actually just see this in particular in the freelance space. If you go on, say, Upwork, you're going to see less and less projects for, uh, wanting people that are hardcore programmers to just build something from scratch. You know, WordPress tends to dominate that space. WooCommerce tends to dominate that space. And so those people are not looking for these hardcore programmers. And even if you look at companies that hire devs like this, ultimately what they're doing is they're building tools. The, my main client, their flagship product is a tool. It's a plugin for WordPress to turn this site into a membership site. Most of the devs on our team work on that uh, flagship product and are hardcore programmers. That's not me. I don't do that. I rarely ever work on the our flagship product. So... Again, there's a distinction there. Programmers build the tools. Designers, they design the end result. This is a little more self-explanatory. These guys have been around forever. They'll probably always be around. Um, they're the ones that go into Photoshop or the wireframing tool or so forth and say, this is what it should look like. Okay. And that's changed, you know, with mobile. What you have to do as a designer has sort of changed a little bit. But overall, it's it's sort of the same thing. It's kind of been what it's always been. Uh, and so that's one area that you can go into. The third one then is actually what I think probably most of us are, 
but we want to say that we're hardcore programmers and that is we're builders right we use we take the design we take the tools and we build the thing we're sort of the glue of the project and you know a lot of times we can sort of get looked down on a little bit i i i know how to code but i'm certainly not near the programmer as the the hardcore programmers that i work with on a day to day basis but those guys they absolutely actually they hate building websites themselves right they hate working with css for example they can't stand it right so there very much is a space for this sort of thing uh and what we do and i know there's purists out there that would sort of scoff at this but when it comes to sort of the end result and the client and who you're delivering for and what actually matters most of the time they don't really care and i i just had a really good example of this uh the company that i i contract with they contracted with another company who's actually sort of a dev shop themselves. They have used Divi in the past to build things and so forth. And they contracted with my client who had me <laughs> uh, actually built, do the building of the site and so forth. We have a designer, so the designer did the design, but then I took the design, just like I said, I took the design, took the tool, WordPress and Elementor and built the thing. And we built it for this dev shop who had a client of theirs that they were building it for. And they were overjoyed, right? They, even though they're a dev shop, they know what tools we're using. They didn't like, they didn't care. They don't care. They just care about the end result and their client could care even less uh, about the end result. And a lot of it came down to the fact that even though they knew the tools, they've, they've done this sort of thing in the past, you know, we're sort of the membership site experts. That's what our flagship product is. We have tens of thousands of customers that we work with on a daily basis in, in relation to this. We know a ton about membership sites. We built membership sites for, like I said, Eat Magazine and Michael Hyatt, Lewis Howes, etc. All of these, these really big name people, like we know membership sites inside and out. And so a lot of it came down to, well, just knowing what pages to build, how to structure the site, how to do it in a way where it's easy to market, where it's easy to manage long term, all that sort of thing. Like we just know a ton about how to do that. And so really more and more in the freelance space, that's the name of the game. It's not that, for developers in particular, it's not that you know how to use the tool or that you even know how to code and that you can build it. It's what extra do you bring to the table? And that's this is why I harp so hard on picking a specific niche, like building a membership site or I build landing pages because then you have all this intelligence, all these things that you've learned over the years that you can bring to the table that someone who's a generic developer that builds all sorts of random things, they don't know as much about landing pages as you do. They don't know as much about word uh, membership sites as you do. They don't know as much about XYZ as you do because you specialize in that thing. That's how you're going to compete and win. Like if you want the secret to competing and winning and beating out all the other freelancers and developers in your space, that's it. Have more intelligence about the thing that you're building and how to build it right. That's that's how you win, not just being able to do it. And it's impossible for you to be an expert in 17 different things. It's very possible for you to be an expert in one thing. So that's where I really want to sort of push you with this. But the big thing that I want to kind of point out with this is that knowing that this is sort of how things are sort of breaking down and knowing that in the future, 
it's sort of going that way more and more. Like, it's really important. It's super important that you figure out where it is that you belong. Like, what kind of developer you are. Are you a programmer? Are you a designer? Are you a builder? Uh, that sort of thing. It's about self-awareness. Because what can happen is, and like I said, this is sort of what happened to me. You can think that you want to be a programmer. You can start down that path. You can start learning all of these things and get halfway through it, get you know, three, four, five years into it and realize, oh, that's not what I am. Like I need to now move over here. And it, it just sort of puts you behind. And if you're a builder, which again, I think a lot of us are, but we tell ourselves we want to be programmers. If you're a builder, the things that you should learn first are very different than if you're a designer or a programmer. If you're a builder, especially a free in the freelance sort of space, you should be learning WordPress. You should be learning Elementor. You should be learning WooCommerce. That's the 800-pound gorilla of that space. You should be doing that first. And that's exactly what I told my brother. I'm like, you can learn how to code, but I'm like, I know you. I don't think that you really want to geek out like that and they're like interested in knowing how ele every electron moves through the computer and so forth. Like there's people that are interested in that, love that sort of thing. That's not me. Like, I don't think that's you. So I would push you more towards the builder side. I know you, you know, you were in construction. You loved like seeing the end product come together. Like that's, that's what we do. And it was really helpful for him and I actually pushed him towards some WordPress tutorials and so forth. Like that's what you should be learning first. Then you can add the coding in a little bit later to up your value and you can add some design skills in to up your value. But your primary thing is learning, like figuring out what tool you really want to work with, getting really good with that tool uh, and getting to the point where you can deliver on some really just mind blowing end results with that particular tool. So that's very different than if you're a programmer. If you're a programmer, then yeah, you should be learning hardcore programming, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, PHP, MySQL, you know, maybe Node, Go, all these different things that are out there. If you're a designer, you should be learning design and Photoshop and, and that sort of thing. So it really is important to figure out what it is that you are because I just, the way things are going, this divide is going to get more and more clear and there's going to be fewer, fewer exceptions. Now, it's true that there's overlap. A lot of builders know some programming and some designing. There's a lot of designers that know how to use the tools and maybe even know a little code. And there's programmers that can be functional with the tools and maybe even know a little, like there's overlap for sure. But you always have a, a specialty, a, a core, something that is your sort of first thing. And so you need to know what that is and, and really pursue it first. So again, it comes down to self-awareness. It comes down to understanding what it is that you really want to do and knowing what you are and then going down that path, picking a very specific niche and accumulating that intelligence that allows you to outcompete other people. They can't compete with what it is that you know because they don't know what you know. They're not near as... Uh, much of a specialist as you are in that particular thing. That's the way through this. That's the way to not just survive, but thrive going forward as things change and as things, you know, everything's always changing. There's always new stuff coming out. It allows you to figure out what you need to focus on. 
this new, you're a builder and this new language comes out, you probably don't really need to know it, but you do want to pay attention to, okay, what are the tools coming out of that? What are the things for me coming out of that? And is this a better option than what I'm using now, etc.? Whereas if you're a programmer and a new language comes out, then you need to pay attention. So again, that's the way through all of this. So that's sort of what I wanted to share with you today. I want to end up uh, end up the episode today. I want to talk real quickly about repeat clients because this is a this is really as a freelancer, this is kind of your lifeblood. Re- repeat clients and referrals is sort of your lifeblood. This is how you build a sustainable business. Uh, it's a lot easier to get a repeat client than it is to get a new client. It's a lot easier to convert a referral into a client than it is someone who doesn't know anything about you. Uh, and so I want to talk in particular, one of the things that's really big when it comes to repeat clients, really the thing when it comes to repeat clients is client satisfaction. And when it when it comes to repeat business, the proof is sort of in the pudding. The client has worked with you now, right? So everything you said up to that point doesn't really matter because it now comes down to them actually working with you and what the experience is. And there's a lot of different things that I've talked about over the years about how to deliver and 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 do it in a way where you make your clients happy and so forth. But one of the things that's been really effective for me, I actually learned on the Inc. Magazine project. I learned from this guy named Lewis, who was a really sharp guy. He was the type of guy that didn't just accept, you know, if, if he said, well, how should we do X, Y, Z? And you said, well, I think we should do it this way. Like he had, you know, why and how, and like he would just, he would really make you explain what it is that you wanted to do. And he was very sharp. He could keep up. Uh, You couldn't sort of out jargon him. He would make you explain it. Like he was just a super, super sharp guy. And the site we were building was actually, you needed to have, your company had to do at least $2 million a year in revenue to even be able to apply for the membership site. So it was a really high-end site. He was working with, you know, multi-millionaires, on a regular basis. And so he's just a really super sharp guy. And at this point, I hadn't yet worked with Michael Hyatt or Lewis House. So it was kind of a surreal experience for me. And I learned a ton from him. But one of, again, one of the things that I learned was a, a really effective way to manage projects, in particular after sort of the initial push. A lot of times when you're doing a new build, this is really good for after you've done a new build or if you're getting in, if you're doing like long-term maintenance with clients or you're fixing uh, bugs and that sort of thing. It's really effective uh, for that. So again, after that initial build, a lot of times what happens is the client will be like, well, I need this, you know, X, Y, Z thing. Uh, I looked at this page and didn't like this, or I want to add this, or I want to do this, etc. And you can start to get this sort of punch list of all these things that you need to finish in order to f- to finish off the project. And a lot of times this is where things can fall apart because it really drags you down uh, as a developer because it feels like the project's never going to end. And for the client, it can feel like, well, there's all these things that are coming up now. Um, and, I, you know, this, this person isn't de- delivering as well or they're not as motivated or whatever. That can a lot of times be where the project and the client satisfaction falls apart and where you rele- where you lose them as a repeat customer, where you lose them as someone who's going to give you referrals. And so this, this uh, system that I learned from Lewis is a really uh, effective way of dealing with that. It's really brilliant really, <laughs> uh, when you think about it. And what it does is it sort of removes that awkward space where 
they're wanting to see you sort of work on this one thing, like it's really important to them. But either that thing is you, you know, it's like this big project that's so going to suck up all of your time because you got to figure out what's going on or whatever. So it's going to suck up a lot of your time. And there's not going to be progress on other things or it's something that's like really simple. And you're like, well, I want to do all these. I need to do all these other things first and then I can do that later. And there can be this sort of awkward space where they're wanting you to work on things that you have a sort of different priority for. Uh, and so what this does is it kind of fixes all that. It puts you and the client on the exact same page. And it also gives you some control over what gets done and when. Right? It's not just about the client. So you're not running yourself ragged. You're not uh, doing things that are just completely outlandish in your mind in terms of, of the overall project. And just to sort of give you a little hint on this, you know, oftentimes as a freelancer, we think of our projects in sort of a linear, logical fashion, which makes sense. It's, it is a process for us. And you've done it long enough. You've really sort of narrowed it down uh, to a process. So it, it sort of makes sense. But clients don't see it that way. They, they see it more from an end result point of view. Uh, this is something that I've, I've talked about quite a bit is that their mind is focused on the end result, whereas we tend to be for, focused more on the process. And they care a lot less about the process needed to get there. So what this method does, is it brings these two things into alignment, into sort of harmony. So you're both on the same page and the things you're working on are the things that both of you want to get done. So you're both happy and keeps you from falling sort of into that abyss of never ending punch list or of, of working on things that you don't want to work on or don't think need worked on, worked on at that particular point. Uh, and and sort of keeps the client happy and, and forward momentum going. In any case, since I learned this, it's one of the little things that I've sort of done over the years to make client ca clients happy so they come back for future work and they refer me to their friends and colleagues. Again, repeat business and referrals, the lifeblood of any freelance business. Now, the thing is, is I sort of know how this goes. Most freelancers that I interact with, they, they tend to be looking for some bright, shiny object, one big thing that'll suddenly click and clients will flood in the doors and all their problems will be solved. And I, I often refer to it as the lottery mindset. And so when you hear this, it can kind of sound simple and a lot of freelancers will brush it off. And frankly, if that's you, I, I would say do us both a favor and stop listening. Like no hard feelings, but you're just not going to get what you're looking for from this or, or frankly anything. Um, because the truth is, it's not about finding one big thing and suddenly everything clicks. It's about stacking a bunch of little things in your favor to give you the advantage. And eventually, your little snowball of an advantage becomes an avalanche because you stack so many of these little things. Like if you Again, if you want the secret to sort of building your long-term success... It's about identifying little things that give you an, a, a little bit of an advantage and stacking all of those things together. One, two, three, 10, 20 to where now someone who just doesn't know all those things, just it's very difficult for them to compete with you. And it's a long time for them to be able to learn those things. So again, this is one of those things. So if you're not of the lottery mind, you're not one of the lottery mindset types, then I just added a full video, it's Lesson 16, uh, where I explain what I learned uh, from Lewis and this system that I've since used. I've added that to my Beginner's Guide to Freelance course on Skillshare. The best part is you can get access to it for nothing. All the details on that 
are at johnmorrisonline.com slash Skillshare. All right, that'll do it for this episode. If you liked it, I'd appreciate it if you would hit the like button. Also, if you know anybody that could benefit from this episode, I would really appreciate it if you'd share it with them, help grow the podcast. Uh, I would really appreciate that. That's it. We'll talk to you next time. The John Morris Show. 